Today, we're uh, looking at 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 12. Paul is writing to the Christians in Thessalonica. And in this uh, section of this letter, we hear some very important things about our life together. We appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Community. What is community? Uh, A group of people, my dictionary says, who simply share the same interests, the same goals, or the same attitudes. So when you think about it, there are really hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller communities within our larger community that we call the city of Albuquerque. I imagine that many of you are members of several of those smaller, different communities. In our congregation, I know that we have people who participate in communities that are built around uh, shared political opinions, uh, mountain biking, classical music, quilting, Hiking, bird watching, fishing, antique cars, motorcycles, cooking, sports teams, beloved college alma maters. What did I leave out? I mean, we have so many smaller communities within the larger community. And today we're focusing on not just any community, but that community that is decidedly, intentionally, and unapologetically Christ-centered. We're talking about Christian community, which is different than any other community based on human interest. For this Christian community is not based on human interest, but God's interest. God's interest in us. And we can give thanks that God is more than interested in us. Our community is founded on his action, his willingness to suffer and die for us, to die in our place to give us faith, hope, love, and life. So in this Christian community, Paul describes some of the attributes and distinguishing features of our life together. He says that in this community, there should be love and peace. These are marks of authentic Christian community. And in every authentic Christian community where love and peace abide, there is this common denominator. The mission of the church is always first and foremost. That mission, going back to Matthew 28, has always been making disciples. When God's people put first things first, when they set their minds and their hearts to the common work assigned to us by Jesus himself, then Christ-like love and the peace of the Lord have a chance to flourish. When the will of Jesus supersedes individual agendas and personal politics, there will be peace, the peace of the Lord. 
the peace that comes from a common purpose under the lordship of Jesus and in the love we know in him that binds us together. Now, the opposite is just as true. Conversely, when the mission of the church is removed from first place to any other place, worse yet, forgotten altogether, well, then you can just count on all kinds of problems and disagreements. Because in that environment, personal tastes and individual agendas will always clash and collide. The church then becomes nothing more than another secular community, a voluntary association of individuals who are anything but like-minded. And in this Christian community, here's some very interesting words. Did you hear this teaching? We are to respect and love those who serve as leaders. Because of the work they do. Friends, this is so very important for any Christian community, any congregation to thrive. But instead of focusing on the work that Christian leaders do, this is what you can often hear in many congregations I have visited and congregations in turmoil that have contacted me given my work in our church body, Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ. I stopped going to church because I don't like the pastor's hair, the pastor's beard. Are you thinking of Jerry right now? (laughs) His clothing, his personality, his voice, and on and on and on. Rarely do I talk to anyone who dislikes the pastor because he or she fails or refuses to preach the word of God. And in my 19 years in this community, I've never talked with the person who decided to lead this congregation because our pastors fail to proclaim the gospel of Christ. It's usually about all those things that really don't matter ultimately, eternally, in the kingdom of God. This word of instruction from Paul also reminds pastors that ministry was never meant to be some popularity contest. It's not about us. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? It's about Jesus. If we are to be loved and respected by the people, then let it be because of the faithful work we're trying to do, not because folks think we're cool or have a winsome personality. I believe there are already enough congregations in the world today and plenty enough right here in Albuquerque that are built around the personality of the pastor instead of the person of Jesus Christ. Pastors come and go. Someday I'll be gone. But Jesus remains forever. So here's some good news. You don't have to like the pastor's beard. You don't have to like the fact that he might wear jeans to work. You don't have to like her jewelry or makeup. The pastor may feast on tofu, Lord, I don't know why, or elk. These things will vary from person to person and pastor to pastor, but we are called to love one another for the sake of Christ. And here's some more good news. As pastors, we don't have to like everything about every person in the congregation. That's great news. 
You don't have to like everything about me. I don't have to like everything about you, but we're called to love each other. My old mother told me when I was growing up, you know, Bruce, I don't like some of the things you're doing. I love you so much because you're my firstborn son, but I just don't like some of your choices, you know? That's reality. We don't have to like everything about one another, but we need to remember that we are called together not because we find one another so appealing and that we approve of everything about one another, but that God finds us worth dying for, that we might live together for the sake of his glory. And in this community where love and peace have a chance to flourish, where the mission is always first and foremost, we are also to be people who admonish and encourage one another. Now, do I need to remind you that in recent years, there has been nothing less than a seismic shift in the church in North America and Europe? And I believe the shift is nothing less than a move away intentionally from biblical teaching and a move toward the embracing of the values and standards of the prevailing culture. And in far too many places, this shift has moved the church from a Christian community in which all God's people are called to accountability, in which my sin is called sin and your sin is called sin, where now there's no mention of sin and no ability to be reconciled, no opportunity to be, be restored to righteousness by God's grace. Calling something a sin now is considered judgmental, self-righteous, antiquated, medieval. We're now supposed to accept and celebrate all behaviors and choices in the name of human freedom in many church bodies today diversity is more esteemed than discipleship I think in many places there's only one sin that remains and that is the sin of daring to presume that some things are actually contrary to the will of God. So we are a community where admonishment takes place. But we need to remember something about admonishment. When Paul speaks of it, he's not talking about being haughty. He's not talking about arrogance, hateful judgment, or scathing condescension. Christian admonishment is always a compassionate guidance and loving kind correction it's done with care and encouragement so if you find yourself in a position where a brother or a sister in Christ a member of your own family needs some admonishment well do it do it lovingly and then be sure that you are also offering encouragement to that person don't just simply admonish but encourage a path towards righteousness and mercy and restoration. Paul then tells us that Christian community is marked by patience and prayerfulness. That hits really close to home for a lot of us. Some of us know that were it not for God's perfect patience, 
with us. Oh, we'd be in deep trouble. Some of us have come to realize and appreciate the gift of God's patient grace as he waited for us to come around, prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, as he longed and waited for us to come home, to turn from our sin and seek his forgiveness. God's patient with us because he wants us all to make that movement from brokenness to wholeness, from darkness to light, from nothing less than death to eternal life. And as God is patient and slow to anger with each one of us, we are called simultaneously to be patient and slow to anger with one another as brothers and sisters, especially the new believers in our midst. There are lots of young people in this congregation who were not raised in Christian homes. Moms and dads, baby boomers, my generation, said, you know, mom and dad made us go to church every weekend, and that was such a drag. We're not going to do that to our kids. We're going to let them decide for themselves. And so many of these young people, they're not bad people, but they don't have a spiritual compass. They don't know the difference between a Buddhist and a Baptist, and many of them are finding their way here in this Christian community. And they're baby Christians. They're just learning. We need to be patient with them as God is patient with us. And I've seen in my years here at Faith how people can experience the living Christ in worship and how a person, yes indeed, we Lutherans believe that a person can accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior in a moment. Some of you might have had that experience. Yet learning to live as a disciple, as an apprentice, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus the Master, well that can't be done in an instant. That takes a lifetime, and thank God he's patient with us over the course of that life. Growing into the fullness of faith that God desires for us, it takes time, it requires learning. And that doesn't happen instantaneously. When I was in Wisconsin last week, and Kirsten was there with me, a young man in our neighborhood took care of our two new pups, Dixie and Ruby. I really had a great experience getting to know this neighbor a little better. I've seen him through the years. I've watched him grow up. He's going to be a junior at El Dorado this fall. And he's already working out in preparation for those two-a-day football practices that will soon begin. Do any of you guys remember two-a-day football practices? I mean... Did any of you enjoy that? I dreaded it. And it was doubly hard on the young men who didn't get in shape for two a days. So he's out there working out, lifting weights, trying to increase his, uh, his foot speed. He knows that if he has a chance of making the starting lineup, he needs to be preparing now, not just the first day of two a days. Because nobody walks into a locker room on the first game of a new season and gets a uniform and starts as quarterback or middle linebacker. Uh, No one picks up a flute or a trumpet for the very first time on the day of a concert and gets to sit in the first chair. Uh, No one I know gets a job at Sandia working on self-powered ferroelectric nanosensor projects by majoring in anthropology. Athletes, musicians, 
scientists, they all know the time, the dedication, the acquisition of knowledge that are required to grow and succeed in their respective fields. As Christians, God gives us time. The Holy Spirit helps us to dedicate ourselves to the kingdom. And over that time, and with God's Spirit, we learn. We grow. Remembering that God is patient with us even when we stumble and fall. And we even have this promise from the Lord. You can read about it in Romans chapter 8. That when we know we should pray and the words just don't come. You ever had that happen? You want to pray, but you just find the, the vocabulary is lacking. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for human words. See, God is praying for you. Even when life is so difficult or so confusing that you don't know how you should pray. That's a patient God. That's a loving God. And then Paul says that we are to be people who are known for our rejoicing and our giving of thanks. Rejoice at all times. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, let's just be honest. Doesn't that seem a bit counterintuitive? And for some people, it sounds downright crazy. Rejoice always? When something horrible has just taken place? When I'm sick in a hospital bed? Rejoice when someone betrays me? Rejoice and give thanks when my family is a mess? When someone breaks into my car or my home and steals my personal property? Well, we're not told to rejoice because of such things or to pretend they make us happy, but to rejoice in the knowledge that God does not go running away when we find ourselves in times of trouble or distress. Our joy in the Lord comes from knowing that he is with us, that he loves us and cares for us, not just when everyone's getting along and life is sweet, but even when relationships are strained and life takes a turn that seems so unfair and so difficult we don't know how we're going to bear it. See, giving thanks in all circumstances is not the same as giving thanks for the circumstance. A woman in our congregation told me this past spring, this is the only church I've been a part of where I could dare to be real. I've gone to other churches. There were nice people there. But when I found myself hurting and troubled, people told me it was because I lacked faith or because it was God's will. That didn't make any sense to me. This sister has found something real, not something perfect. We're not a perfect congregation. We trade on God's mercies every day. But she has found in her Bible study group a community, a Christian community, where she can gather with sisters and doesn't have to be afraid of sharing her joys and her sorrows. Where she doesn't have to pretend that her life is perfect and everything is just hunky-dory all the time. God knows we have problems. 
Jesus knows. Paul knows. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When one member is honored, all rejoice. When one suffers, we suffer together. So if suffering is part of life, the side of heaven, if we all face problems, why should we not lean into one another for that mutual consolation of the brethren, as Martin Luther put it? Rejoice and give thanks. We did that pretty well this past December as we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Some people who came for the first time and are still worshiping here at Faith are still talking about the beauty, the wonder, the joy of our Christmas Eve celebration. There's nothing like it. I wish all the people who worship with us at Christmas would do the same at Easter. Because you see, Easter gives us an even greater cause for rejoicing and thanksgiving. For at Easter, we remember the one born at Christmas and what he did for us at about the age of 33 years. He defeated sin for us. He conquered death for us. He shed blood for us so we could be made clean. He rose victorious from the grave for us, which means we no longer need to fear the grave. Heaven is our home, not a cemetery, not a columbarium. But to celebrate all this, we first have to follow Jesus to the cross. We have to remember his betrayal and all the ways that we've betrayed him too. We need to learn, disciples, apprentices, one and all, from the real Jesus, crucified, buried, risen, and alive. For only when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we make the mission the first and most important thing, when we think about the work to which he's called each and every one of us wherever he's planted us, can our church be a real church? A real community, not just another club, not merely another human institution, but a community, a Christian community. And I'm thanking God that I've had the privilege of being part of it for these 19 years. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.